Section six of In Our Convent Days. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In Our Convent Days by Agnes Replier. Section six Marriage Vows. We had decided upon the married state, titles, and foreign travel. I do not mean that we cherished such ambitions for the future, what was the future to us, but that in the world of illusions, which was our world, we were about to assume these new and dazzling conditions childish even for our years though our years were very few and preserved mercifully from that familiar and deadening intercourse with adults which might have resulted in our being sensible and well informed we cultivated our imaginations instead of our minds the very bareness of our surroundings the absence of all appliances for play flung us back unreservedly upon the illimitable resources of invention. It was in the long winter months, when nature was unkind, when the last chestnut had been gathered and the last red leaf pressed carefully in an atlas, that we awoke to the recognition of our needs and slipped across the borderland of fancy. It was then that certain wise and experienced nuns watched us closely, knowing that our pent-up energies might at any moment break down the barriers of discipline, but knowing also that it was not possible for a grown-up person, however well disposed, to enter our guarded realm. We were always under observation, but the secret city wherein we dwelt was trodden by no other foot than ours. It had rained for a week. We had exhausted the resources of literature and the drama. A new book in the convent library, a book with the most promising title, The Witch of Melton Hill, had turned out to be a dismal failure. Elizabeth observed sardonically that if it had been named as it should have been, the guardian angel of Hallam House, we should at least have left it alone. An unreasoning relative had sent me, as a belated Christmas gift, Agnes Hilton, or Pride Corrected making the feeble excuse that I bore the heroine's name. To a logical mind, this would have seemed no ground either for giving me the story or for blaming me because it proved unreadable. But Tony, to whom I lent it, reproached me with exceeding bitterness for having the kind of a name, a goody-goody name, she called it, which was always borne by pious and virtuous heroines she said she thanked heaven none of them were ever christened antoinette and she seemed to hold me responsible for the ennobling qualities she despised as for the drama we had acted for the second time elizabeth's masterpiece the youth of michelangelo and there appeared to be no further opening for our talents we little girls with the imitative instincts of our age were always endeavoring to reproduce on a modest scale the artistic triumphs with which the big girls entertained the school it was hard work because we had no plays no costumes and no manager we had only elizabeth who rose to the urgent needs of the situation overcoming for our sake the aversion she felt for any form of composition and substituting for her french exercises the more inspiring labors of the dramatist her first attempt was slight a mere curtain raiser and dealt with the fortunes of a robber chief who after passionate pursuit of a beautiful and beloved maiden finds out that she is his sister and hails the news with calm fraternal joy 
by a fortunate coincidence he also discovers that an aged traveller whom he had purposed robbing is his father so the curtain falls upon a united family the gentle desperado quoting an admirable sentiment of cowper's it was in our reader accompanied by a picture of a gentleman a lady a baby and a bird-cage domestic happiness thou only bliss of paradise that has survived the fall the success of this touching and realistic little play encouraged elizabeth to more ambitious efforts she sat about dramatizing with my assistance a story from the boyhood of the great painters which told how the youthful michelangelo modelled a snow fawn in the gardens of lorenzo de' medici and how that magnificent duke seeing this work of art before it had time to melt showered praises and promises upon the happy sculptor it was not a powerful theme but there was an ancient retainer of the bonarati family elizabeth wisely reserved this part for herself who made sarcastic remarks about his employers and never appeared without a large feather duster thus fulfilling all the legitimate requirements of modern comedy what puzzled us most sorely was the fawn which we supposed to be an innocent young quadruped and had no possible way of presenting therefore after a great deal of consideration it was determined that a flower girl would be substituted this happy idea so suggestive of michelangelo's genius being inspired by the plaster figures then sadly familiar to lawns and garden walks in the story the young artist emphasized the age of the fawn by deftly knocking out two of its front teeth a touch of realism beyond our reach as viola milton in a nightgown played the statue's part in our drama the duke complained that the flower girl was too grave whereupon michelangelo with a few happy touches gave her a smile so broad viola's teeth being her most prominent feature that some foolish little girls in the audience thought a joke was intended and laughed uproariously marie played michelangelo i was his proud father who appeared only in the last scene and said come to my arms my beloved son which he did so impetuously marie was nothing if not ardent that i was greatly embarrassed and did not know how to hold him lorenzo the magnificent was affably though somewhat feebly portrayed by annie churchill she wore a waterproof cloak flung like hamlet's mantle over her left shoulder and a beaver hat with a red bow and an ostrich plume the property of eloise dieter it was a significant circumstance that when marie rushing to my embrace knocked over a little table the sole furniture of the medician palace and indicating by its presence that we were no longer in the snow lorenzo hastily picked it up and straightened the cover while elizabeth who had no business to be in that scene stood calmly by twirling her feather duster and apparently accustomed to being waited on by the flower of the florentine nobility the production of michael angelo cost us four weeks of hard and happy labor his name became so familiar to our lips that tony whose turn it was to read night and morning prayers substituted it profanely for that of the blessed archangel we always said the credo and the confidior in latin so that beato michele archangelo became beato michael angelo without attracting the attention of any ears save ours it was one of those daring jests as close to wickedness as we ever got 
which served as passwords in our secret city the second time we gave the play we extended a general invitation to the first course to come and see it and a score or so of the less supercilious girls actually availed themselves of the privilege it is hard for me to make clear what condescension this implied feudal lord and feudal vassal were not more widely separated than were the first and second course feudal lord and feudal vassal were not more firmly convinced of the justness of their respective positions no uneasy agitator had ever pricked us into discontent the existing order of things seemed to us as natural as the planetary system now casting about for some new form of diversion elizabeth proposed one stormy afternoon that we should assume titles and marry one another secretly of course but with all the pomp and circumstance that imagination could devise she herself having first choice elected england for her dwelling-place and emily for her spouse she took emily i am sure because that silent and impassive child was the only one of the five who didn't particularly covet the honor elizabeth protecting herself instinctively from our affection and admiration found her natural refuge in this unresponsive bosom because emily would just as soon have married lily or me elizabeth wisely offered her her hand she also insisted that emily being older should be the husband mere surface ambition was alien to her character the position of maitresse femme satisfied all reasonable requirements names and titles were more difficult of selection emily was disposed toward a dukedom but elizabeth preferred that her husband should be an earl because an earl was belted and a duke we surmised wasn't a duke is higher than an earl said the well-informed emily but he isn't belted insisted elizabeth it's a belted knight and a belted earl always never a belted duke you can wear a belt if you're an earl emily i do wear a belt said the prosaic emily then of course you've got to be an earl retorted elizabeth reasoning by some process not perfectly plain to us but conclusive enough for emily who tepidly yielded the point philip howard earl of arundel i won't be named philip interrupted emily rebelliously well then henry howard earl of arundel and surrey and we'll live in arundel castle you got that out of constance sherwood said marie elizabeth nodded lady fullerton's pretty story had been read aloud in the refectory and we were rather up in english titles as a consequence i'm going to be prince of castile said tony suddenly i leaped from my chair you shan't i flashed and then stopped short bitterly conscious of my impotence tony had spoken first there was no wresting her honors from her she knew she must have known that castile was the home of my soul though no one had ever sounded the depth of my devotion my whole life was lit by spain's sombre glow it was the land where my fancy strayed whenever it escaped from thraldom and to which i paid a secret and passionate homage the destruction of the invincible armada was the permanent sorrow of my childhood and now tony had located herself in this paradise of romance castile's proud dames would be her peers and countrywomen the alhambra would be her pleasure-house 
geographically i was a trifle indistinct and moorish slaves would wait upon her will i could not even share these blessed privileges because it was plain to all of us that tony's one chance of connubial felicity lay in having lily for a partner the divorce courts would have presented a speedy termination to any other alliance never mind agnes said marie consolingly we don't want castile it's a soapy old place we'll be duke and duchess of tuscany i yielded a sorrowful assent tuscany awoke no echoes in my bosom i neither knew nor cared whence marie had borrowed the suggestion but the priceless discipline of communal life had taught us all to respect one another's rights and to obey the inflexible rules of play tony had staked her claim to castile and i became beatrice della rovere duchess of tuscany without protest but without elation lily looked genuinely distressed her sweet heart was hurt to feel that she was depriving a friend of any happiness and it is safe to say that she was equally indifferent to the grandeurs of italy and of spain perhaps griselda the patient felt no lively concern as to the whereabouts of her husband's estates she had other and more serious things to ponder the marriage ceremony presented difficulties we must have a priest to officiate that is we must have a girl discreet enough to be trusted with our secret yet stupid enough or amiable enough to be put out of the play afterwards we had no idea of being burdened with clerical society annie churchill was finally chosen for the role her functions were carefully explained to her and her scruples she was dreadfully afraid of doing something wrong were by candid argument overcome marie wanted to be married in the lily of judah chapel a tiny edifice girt by the winding drive but elizabeth firmly upheld the superior claims of st joseph st joseph was as we all knew the patron of marriage its advocate and friend we depended upon him to find us our future husbands in which regard he has shown undue partiality and it was in good faith that we now placed ourselves under his protection our play inevitably reflected the religious influences by which we were so closely environed i hear it said that the little sons of ministers preach to imaginary audiences in the nursery an idea which conveys a peculiar horror to my mind we did not preach which of us would have listened but we followed in fancy like the child eugenie de guerin those deeply colored traditions which lent atmosphere to our simple and monotonous lives one of our favorite games was the temptation of st anthony maria grognon a little french girl of unsurpassed agility had created the part of the devil its special feature was the flying leap she took over the kneeling hermit's head a performance more startling than seductive this vivacious pantomime had been frowned upon by the mistress of recreation who had no idea what it meant but who considered and with reason that mariana was behaving like a tomboy then one day an overzealous st anthony marie probably crossed himself with such suspicious fervor when the devil made his jump that the histrionic nature of the sport became evident and it was sternly suppressed 
the primitive humor of the miracle play was not in favor at the convent we were married in front of st joseph's statue outside the chapel door on sunday afternoon sunday was elected for the ceremony partly because we had possession of our white veils on that day and what bride would wear a black veil and partly because the greater liberty allowed us made possible an unobserved half-hour it was elizabeth's custom and mine to go to chapel every sunday before supper and offer an earnest supplication to the blessed virgin that we might not be given medals that night at primes i loved primes it was the most exciting event of the week there was an impressive solemnity about the big hushed room the long rows of expectant girls reverend mother begirt by the whole community gazing at us austerely and the seven days record read out in madame baron's clear incisive tones we knew how every girl in the school even the exalted graduates and semi-sacred medallions had behaved we knew how they stood in class we saw the successful students go up to receive their medals occasional comments from madame baron added a bitter pungency to the situation it was delightful from beginning to end unless and this happened very often to elizabeth and sometimes even to me we had distinguished ourselves sufficiently to win our class medals for the week then over an endless expanse of polished floor slippery as glass we moved like stricken creatures conscious that our friends were watching us in mocking security from their chairs conscious that we were swinging our arms and turning in our toes and painfully aware that our curtsies would never come up to the required standard of elegance and grace elizabeth was furthermore afflicted by a dark foreboding that something something in the nature of a stocking or a petticoat would come down when she was in midstream and this apprehension deepened her impenetrable gloom it was in the hopes of averting such misery that we said our hail marys every sunday afternoon manifesting thereby much faith but little intelligence as all these matters had been settled at conference on saturday i have always believed however that it was in answer to our prayers that a law was passed in mid-term ordaining that no girl could be eligible for a class medal unless she had all her conduct notes unless her week's record was without stain as this was sheerly impossible we were thenceforth safe we heard our names read out and sat still in disgraceful but blessed security even madame baron's icy censure and reverend mother's vaguely reproachful glance she was hopelessly near-sighted and hadn't the remotest idea where we sat were easier to bear than that distressful journey up and down the classroom with every eye upon us the marriage ceremony would have been more tranquil and more imposing if we had not had such a poltroon of a priest annie was so nervous so afraid she was committing a sin and so afraid she would be caught in the commission that she read the service shamefully and slurred all the interesting details over which we wanted to linger elizabeth had to prompt her repeatedly and tony's comments were indefensible at such a solemn hour when the three rings had been placed upon the bride's fingers and the three veils bashfully raised to permit the salutations of the noble grooms 
we promised to meet again in the boot and shoe closet after the dormitory lights had been lowered and hurried back to the classroom to have played our parts openly in recreation hours would have been to destroy all the pleasures of illusion secrecy was indispensable secrecy and mystery a hurried clasp of marie's hand as she brushed by me to her desk a languishing glance over our dictation books in class a tender note slipped between the pages of my grammar i have reason to believe that i was the most cherished of the three brides tony was not likely to expend much energy in prolonged love-making and emily was wholly incapable of demonstration even if elizabeth would have tolerated it but marie was dramatic to her fingertips she played her part with infinite grace and zeal and i being by nature both ardent and imitative entered freely into her conception of our roles we corresponded at length with that freedom of phrase and singleness of idea which make love-letters such profitable reading it was in our stolen meetings however in those happy reunions in the boot and shoe closet or in another stuffy hole where our hats and coats were hung that the expansive nature of our play was made delightfully manifest it was then that we travelled far and wide meeting dangers with an unflinching front and receiving everywhere the respectful welcome due to our rank and fortunes we went to rome and the holy father greeted us with unfeigned joy we went to venice and the doge of whose passing we were blissfully ignorant took us a pleasuring in the buccantar our steward proclivities would not permit us to visit victoria's court that is not as friends tony thirsted to go there and raise a row but the young pretender being dead we ascertained this fact definitely from madame duncan who read us a lecture on our ignorance there seemed nobody to put in the place of the usurping queen we crossed the desert on camels and followed pere hook into tartary and tibet our husbands gave us magnificent jewels and lily dropped her pearl earrings into a well like albuherez's daughter in the spanish ballads this charming mishap would have happened to me if only i had been the princess of castile then one day elizabeth made a discovery which filled me with confusion before i came to school i had parted with my few toys feeling that paper dolls and grace hoops were unworthy of my new estate and that i should never again condescend to the devices of my lonely childhood the single exception was a small bisque doll with painted yellow curls i had brought it to the convent in a moment of weakness but no one was aware of its existence it was a neglected doll nameless and wardrobeless and its sole function was to sleep with me at night its days were spent in solitary confinement in my washstand drawer this does not mean that evening brought any sense of exile to my heart on the contrary the night fears which at home made going to bed an ever-repeated misery i slept alone on a big echoing third floor and everybody said what a brave little girl i was had been banished by the security of the dormitory by the blessed sense of companionship and protection nevertheless i liked to feel my doll in bed with me and i might have enjoyed its secret and innocent society all winter had i not foolishly carried it downstairs one day in my pocket and stowed it in a corner of my desk the immediate consequence was detection how did you come to have it 
asked elizabeth wondering oh it got put in somehow with my things i answered evasively and feeling very much ashamed elizabeth took the poor little toy and looked at it curiously she must have possessed such things once but it was as hard to picture her with a doll as with a rattle she seemed equally remote from both as she turned it over an inspiration came to her i tell you what we'll do she said we'll take it for your baby it's time one of us had a child and we'll get up a grand christening do you want a son or a daughter i hope we won't have annie churchill for a priest was my irrelevant answer no we won't said elizabeth i'll be the priest and tony and lily can be the godparents and then after christening the baby can die in its baptismal innocence you know and we'll bury it i was silent elizabeth raised her candid eyes to mine you don't want it do you she asked i don't want it i answered slowly marie decided that as our first-born was to die it had better be a girl a son and heir should live to inherit the estates she contributed a handkerchief for a christening robe and emily who was generous to a fault insisted on giving a little new work-basket beautifully lined with blue satin for a coffin lily found a piece of white ribbon for a sash tony gave advice and elizabeth her priestly benediction beata benedicta della rovere that name shows she's booked for heaven said tony was christened in the benetier at the chapel door elizabeth performing the ceremony and tony and lily unctuously renouncing in her behalf the works and pomps of satan it was a more seemly service than our wedding had been but it was only a prelude after all to the imposing rites of burial these were to take place at the recreation hour the following afternoon but owing to the noble infant's noble kinsman not having any recreation hour when the afternoon came the obsequies were unavoidably postponed it happened in this wise every day in addition to our french classes we had half an hour of french conversation at which none of us ever willingly conversed all efforts to make us sprightly and loquacious failed signally when questions were put to us we answered them but we never embarked on our own volition upon treacherous currents of speech therefore madame david levied upon us a conversational tax which like some of the most oppressive taxes the world has ever known made a specious pretense of being a voluntary contribution every girl in the class was called upon to recount some anecdote some incident or story which she had heard or read or imagined and which she was supposed to be politely eager to communicate to her comrades we always began madame and mademoiselle figurez-vous or il y avait une fois and then launched ourselves feebly upon tales the hopeless inanity of which harmonized with the spiritless fashion of the telling we all felt this to be a degrading performance our tender pride was hurt by such a betrayal before our friends of our potential imbecility moreover the strain upon invention and memory was grown daily more severe we really had nothing left to tell therefore five of us marie belonged to a higher class resolved to indicate that our resources were at an end by telling the same story over and over again 
we selected for this purpose an ollendorfian anecdote about a soldier in the army of frederick the great who having a watch-chain but no watch attached a bullet i can't conceive how to the chain and then frederick asked him the hour of the day replied fatuously my watch tells me that any hour is time to die for your majesty the combined improbability and stupidity of this tale commended it for translation and the uncertainty as to the order of the telling lent an element of piquancy to the plot happily for lily she was called upon first to reciter un conte and blushing and hesitating she obeyed madame david listened with a pretense of interest that did her credit and said that the soldier had beaucoup d'esprit at which tony who had pronounced him a fool whistled a soft note of incredulity after several other girls had enlivened the class with mournful pleasantries my turn came and i told the story as fast as i could so fast that its character was not distinctly recognized until the last word was said madame david looked puzzled but let it pass perhaps she thought the resemblance accidental but when emily with imperturbable gravity began il y avait une fois un soldat honnête et brave dans l'armée de frédéric le grand and proceeded with the familiar details she was sharply checked faut pas répéter les mêmes comptes said madame david at which emily virtuous and pained explained that it was her conte how could she help it if the other girls chose it too by this time the whole class was awakened to the situation and was manifesting the liveliest interest and pleasure it was almost pitiful to see children so grateful for a little mild diversion like the gratitude of italian beggars for a few sous it indicated painfully the desperate nature of their needs there was a breathless gasp of expectancy when elizabeth's name was called we knew we could trust elizabeth she was constitutionally incapable of a blunder every trace of expression was banished from her face and in clear earnest tones she said madame et mademoiselle il y avait une fois un soldat honnête et brave dans l'armée de frédéric le grand whereupon there rose a shout of such uncontrollable delight that the class was dismissed and we were all sent to our desks tony alone was deeply chagrined through no fault of hers she was for once out of a scrape and she bitterly resented the exclusion it was in consequence of this episode that beata benedicta's funeral rites were postponed for twenty-four hours the delay brought no consolation to my heart it only prolonged my unhappiness i did not love my doll after the honest fashion of a younger child i did not really fear that i should miss her but what was infinitely worse i could not bring myself to believe that beata benedicta was dead although i was going to allow her to be buried the line of demarcation between things that can feel and things that cannot had always been a wavering line for me perhaps hans andersen's stories in which rushlights and darning needles have as much life as boys and girls were responsible for my mental confusion perhaps i merely held on longer than most children to a universal instinct which they share with savages 
any familiar object anything that i habitually handled possessed some portion of my own vitality it was never wholly inanimate beata's little bisque body with its outstretched arms seemed to protest mutely but piteously against abandonment she had lain by my side for months and now i was going to let her be buried alive because i was ashamed to rescue her there was no hope for it rather than confess i was such a baby i would have been buried myself a light fall of snow covered the frozen earth when we dug beata's grave with our penknives and laid her mournfully away the site selected was back of the seven dollars chapel chapels are to convent grounds what arbors and summer-houses are to the profane and we chose it because the friendly walls hid us from observation we had brought out our black veils and we put them on over our hats in token of our heavy grief elizabeth read the burial service or as much of it as she deemed prudent for we dared not linger too long and afterwards reassured us on the subject of beata's baptismal innocence that was the great point she had died in her sinless infancy we crime-laden souls should envy her happier fate we put a little cross of twigs at the head of the grave and promised to plant something there when the spring came then we took off our veils and stuffed them in our pockets those deep capacious pockets of many years ago let's race to the avenue gate said tony i'm frozen stiff bearing is cold work or we might get one of the swings said lily but marie whose real name i forgot to say was francesco put her arm tenderly around me don't grieve beatrice she said our little beata has died in her baptismal oh come away i cried unable to bear the repetition of this phrase and i ran as fast as i could down the avenue but i could not run fast enough to escape from the voice of beata benedicta calling calling to me from her grave End of section 6